This summer, the world must answer one question. Why has no one made a popsicle that gets you high yet? That's right, it's summer, and it's time for you to get your hands on America's new favorite product, Danksicles. 20 milligrams of THC in two great flavors, the latest and greatest innovation from IndiCloud. Is IndiCloud the greatest company to come out of America? Maybe. But what we do know for sure is that IndiCloud is the best way to get dispensary-grade cannabis delivered directly to your door, 100% legally. Yes, they ship legally to all states. No medical card needed. Whether it's vapes as big as your head, flowers you won't find in your mom's garden, or of course, popsicles that get you high as What are you waiting for? Go to indicloud.co slash spring24 and get discreet delivery on top shelf THC products. Head over to indicloud.co slash spring24. That's co, not com, to snag 30% off your first order. Hey everyone, I'm Nikki Young and this is Serial Mapper, an international true crime podcast. You all know of that infamous other killer clown often talked about in the true crime community, but tonight we're talking about a lesser known killer clown who would kill a woman by the name of Marlene Warren while wearing a clown costume and holding balloons and flowers. It's the stuff that nightmares are made of, but the worst part is this villain wouldn't be brought to justice for almost 30 years. Actually, she still hasn't been brought to justice. This is the story of Marlene Warren, shot in broad daylight by a killer clown named Sheila Keen. Tonight's episode is sponsored by Pura Vida Medical. The CDC just recently announced that over 60, 60 percent of the Chinese masks they tested didn't meet the specs on the box. So they are literally putting the users at risk. If you're serious about protection and your health, choose a well-made quality mask like Pura Vida. Pura Vida masks are made in the USA, so they follow American guidelines and safety checks. For more details, visit their website and use the discount code STORY for a 10% discount at puravita.com. That's puravita.com and use the discount code STORY for 10% off. Details and links in my show notes. Okay, let's jump in. First of all, if you don't like clowns, if you have a fear of clowns, you're really going to hate this story. I don't have an actual clown phobia, but I've never really found clowns to be like pleasant. Who is actually that happy? There's something so unnerving about their painted smiley faces. And do you guys remember when those clowns were popping up everywhere? I think it was like a few years ago, pre-COVID. That shit terrified me. So when I started reading about this case, it sort of hit a nerve somewhere and made me feel, I don't know, particularly creeped out about the whole thing. People who kill are <laughs> obviously scary, but people who kill while wearing a clown costume, well, they're just next level. Enough about clowns for now. All of that is to come. Let's talk about the victim of our story, Marlene Warren. Marlene May McKinnon Warren 
was born on April 15, 1950, in Mount Clemens, Macomb County, Michigan, to her mother Shirley Twing and father Bill Twing. They described her as being very friendly, loving, and respectful. After surviving her first failed marriage, she met and married a man by the name of Michael Warren in 1972, when she was just 22 years old. At the time all of this happened, the couple was doing really, really well financially. Her husband, Michael, owned Bargain Motors in West Palm Beach, which was a used car dealership. Supposedly, he also had that whole used car dealer vibe about him to go along with it. The couple also owned and managed several duplexes and apartment rentals, so they were living very well off. They lived in a ritzy Wellington Aero Club home, which was a gated community full of other very wealthy people, the kind who owned fancy cars and, yes, private planes. Like, literally, homes had airplane hangers built like garages and private taxiways to each house. Kind of crazy, the stuff that dreams are made of. It would have been considered a very safe and affluent community. The Warrens shared their home with Marlene's son from her first marriage, 21-year-old Joseph Ahrens. Now, the date, it's May 26, 1990. Marlene was at home with her son Joseph and a group of his friends who were over hanging out on this beautiful, sunny day in Palm Beach, Florida. Around 11 a.m. that morning, the doorbell rings and Marlene is surprised to find a clown standing there when she opens the front door. The clown was wearing a orange or red wig, a red nose, gloves, and had a red painted smile on its white face. They were also holding a bouquet of flowers and balloons. One of the balloons read, you're the greatest, and the other had Snow White and the Seven Dwarves on it. Oddly enough, this clown was not wearing clown shoes, rather black lace-up boots, but Nonetheless, Marlene said, how nice, as she reached for her gifts, but in turn, she was shot directly in the face. Joseph was sitting in the living room at the time and turned towards the front door when he heard the gunshot. Seeing his mother fall to the floor bleeding from a gun wound, he ran to the door to help and watched as a clown calmly walked back to a parked white Chrysler LeBaron convertible that had no license plate. It was just sitting there in their driveway and the clown got in before driving off. Police and an ambulance were called. Marlene was rushed to the hospital and she really fought for her life. Unfortunately, two days after being shot, she died in the hospital from her wounds. This was now a murder investigation and police, well, they were baffled. This had to be a very targeted attack. Nothing was taken from the home, and this was a really safe, upscale neighborhood. It all just seemed to be very personal, but they had very little actual evidence to go on. Now, Joseph and his friends, they would give a very interesting description of this clown. Three out of the four witnesses that were at the home at the time of the shooting described the clown as being a tall, skinny male. Joseph would describe the clown as being skinny, six foot one, tall man with dark brown eyes, wearing a clown costume and mask. He said he couldn't see any hair, no arms, no skin, nothing, just that the clown had dark eyes. He was also adamant that the clown was wearing a mask. 
Now, I'm going to read you a little bit of the transcript from an interview with the other eyewitnesses, the friends of Joseph who were at the home at the time of the shooting. It's all pretty interesting. So here it goes. Okay, so this is the interview with Gene Pratt, one of the guys that were there. Gene says, And we sat down getting ready to eat and somebody pulled up in a white car. They had a clown suit on. They had flowers and a bunch of balloons and they had a clown suit on. They were really tall, over six feet tall, glove boots, and I couldn't tell if he was white or black. And the detective says, okay, this this guy in the clown suit, you're pretty sure it was a man? And Gene says, he didn't have breasts. He was flat. He was real tall. And he was, I don't know, it looked like he was a little bit built. And the detective says, somewhat muscular? And Gene says, he was tall. No, not muscular just chunky but he was skinny like real tall but he had a little bit of meat on him and the detective says like a beer belly and he says no not like a beer belly like like a regular person the detective says and how tall would you say he was six foot and gene says about six foot six foot two now the interviewer says what about the face was it a mask or was it like makeup and gene says It had to have been a mask. No, it wasn't makeup. It was a mask. I saw the beady eyes. I saw him. And the detective asks, what color eyes do you think? And Jean says, I don't know. I just saw them. The detective says, could you remember the skin around the eyes? Like, was it a white man's skin? And Jean says, it was a mask. It's just like, that's it. You could only see the eyelashes. You couldn't see nothing, nothing. Now, another one of the friends that was there was a person by the name of Wendell Pratt, who also identified the shooter as a tall male, but he described him as wearing face paint. So the detective asks, okay, did you see the guy that did it? And Wendell says, he was wearing a clown, a clown outfit. And the detective says, did you see that or you heard that? And Wendell responds, no, I saw it. I looked right at him. All it was was a clown outfit, big red wig, big old red nose, white and red outfit. The detective says, did it look to you like he had a mask or did it look like it was painted? His face was painted. And Wendell responds, it looked like it was painted. The detective asks, how tall would you say the clown was? And Wendell responds, about six foot. The detective says, how much would you say the clown weighed? Wendell says about 185. Now, the last person interviewed was Wendell's girlfriend, Mindy Perez, and she couldn't definitively say whether the shooter was a man or a woman, but she too described the shooter as being tall, thin, and dressed in a clown costume with clown makeup. The detective says, okay, you saw this guy standing at or guy or girl. We don't know that. She says, yeah. He says, Through the clown outfit. But this person standing at the door, right? How tall would you say it was? Mindy says, well, he's about the height of Wendell. And Wendell's what? Six, about six foot? The detective says, okay. He's approximately six foot? And she says, yes. So Joseph Ahrens told the detectives that the clown was wearing an orange wig. Wendell Pratt and Mindy Perez claimed that the clown was wearing a red wig. A couple of them said the clown was wearing a mask. And a couple said it was makeup. Three of the four said it was a male and one said they couldn't be sure which. I wanted to give you guys these descriptions 
because it's all really important. Like these four witnesses all saw the same thing, but they all had different descriptions of this clown. So they were interesting descriptions, but not a whole lot that the police could actually follow up with. My family is getting ready to make a big move across the ocean to a place where English isn't the spoken language. This isn't my first rodeo, so I'm making sure I'm fully prepared by learning the language ahead of time. Sure, I know I can use an app once I get there, but you'd be shocked by how much gets lost in translation. I want to talk like a local, which is why I'm excited to use Rosetta Stone, the most trusted language learning program available on desktop or as an app. Rosetta Stone truly immerses you in the language you want to learn and has been a trusted expert for 30 years with millions of users and 25 languages offered, including Spanish, French, Italian, German, and more. Rosetta Stone helps you to think in the language you're learning using an intuitive process that's designed for long-term retention. Their built-in true accent feature gives you feedback on your pronunciation so that you're easily understood by native speakers. They have convenient desktop and app options, so you can learn on the go, and they offer a lifetime membership that includes all 25 languages at an incredible value. And now you can save even more with 50% off. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, Serial Napper listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com today. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com slash today, today. Sunnier, warmer days are almost here. Why not get a head start on looking and feeling your best this summer by trying something new like Factors No Prep, No Mess meals that are ready to eat in just two minutes. Get a helping hand to meet your wellness goals with Factors chef-crafted meals that include different nutritional options like Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. Healthy meal planning has never looked so good with Factors Fresh, Never Frozen Meals that are also dietitian approved. No matter how busy you are, Factor can help kickstart and maintain a new healthy routine by making it easy to enjoy nutritious meals on the go. Plus, you'll never get bored eating the same thing every day because they offer 35 different meals and more than 60 add-ons to choose from every week. We're talking restaurant-quality meals that feature premium ingredients like filet mignon, shrimp, and blackened salmon, because eating healthy doesn't have to be boring. Personally, I love not having to overthink what I'm going to eat every single day, because that's half the battle, and I don't have to bother with shopping, prepping, cooking, or cleaning up. But the best part is, these meals are delicious, with ingredients you can trust. Crush your wellness goals this May. Head to factormeals.com slash napper50 and use code napper50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month. That's code napper50 at factormeals.com slash napper50 to get 50% off your first box 
plus 20% off your next month while your subscription is active. Police knew that they needed to find that getaway car, the white Chrysler LeBaron convertible that this clown, literally, had gotten into and driven away in. On May 30th, they found it. In the car, police found a brown paper bag from Publix, that was a grocery store, and orange fibers, similar to the orange wig the killer clown was apparently wearing. They also found a few strands of human hair. They didn't have the DNA technology at the time to be able to actually identify who this hair belonged to, but they still collected it. Strangely enough, there were no fingerprints found on or in the car. The car was reported stolen from a car rental agency run by none other than Michael Warren, Marlene's husband. What a strange coincidence. Obviously a coincidence that led police to look further into Michael Warren, who he was, and what the Warren marriage was like. Now, Michael, he had an alibi for the day of the murder, of course. He told authorities that he was on his way to a Miami racetrack when the fatal shooting occurred, and police were able to confirm this. But police still believed that he knew more than he was letting on. Through the course of the investigation, they interviewed family, friends, co-workers, anyone who could provide any more insight into the Warren's life. Marlene's parents told them that before her death, she had confided in them, telling them that she suspected Michael had a mistress. Not only that, but Marlene also told her parents, if something happens to me, Michael did it. Whenever I read this, I always scratch my head. It comes up a lot in true crime cases, particularly where the husband is suspected of killing the wife. And I always wonder to myself, how can a person stay married to someone that they truly believe might physically harm them or even kill them? I can't imagine, like, do they really think their spouse could hurt them? Or is it just some sort of offhand remark that they didn't really mean? Either way, police were beginning to find that behind that beautiful home in the upper class neighborhood was a marriage just falling apart. Having a mistress in a murder case is never a good sign. So they followed Michael around. They watched where he spent his time and who he spent his time with. And they found that he was regularly seen at the apartment of a business associate by the name of Sheila Keene. Sheila worked for a car repossession company that worked for Michael Warren's car rental company. Sheila was described as a rather tough and rough kind of woman, and you'd have to be in order to drive up to someone's house, hitch their car to your truck, and tow it away. But apparently, she had no problems doing this. Sheila was also married much like Michael, but estranged from her husband. She was living in this apartment away from their marital home. Michael had been seen at her place so often that the neighbors around the apartment believed that the two were actually married. And later, police would find out that Michael was the one paying for Sheila's apartment. So, obviously things looked a little sketchy there. Sheila's estranged husband, Richard Keene, also told investigators that he suspected Michael and Sheila were having an affair. And other employees at the car dealership said that the two would take an extra long lunch break together. 
But of course, they both denied any romantic involvement and claimed that they only spent so much time together because of the business. Even though it was pretty clear that the two were romantically involved, this of course didn't mean that Michael had killed his wife, so police had more work to do. They began focusing on the whole clown costume element, which was, I mean, the weirdest part of the whole story, right? Why the hell would anyone decide to show up in a clown costume? And what did it all mean? So they started looking at costume stores in the area. And luckily enough, there were only three costume stores in all of Palm Beach County. Of course, this was before the internet. So it was very likely that whoever committed the murder must have bought their clown costume at one of these three stores. So police started interviewing the clerks at these shops, and they think they found a match when they spoke with Deborah Offord and Barbara Castricone, two clerks at one of the costume shops. These two ladies told police about a very persistent customer that they had who was absolutely adamant that she buy a costume. This customer had arrived at the shop after closing hours, and when they asked her to come back the following day when they were open, she insisted that she needed the costume now. So they allowed her in, and what was the costume she picked out? Well, it was none other than a clown outfit with a bright orange wig, bunch of clown makeup, and a red sponge nose. Notably, she didn't buy a pair of shoes to go along with it. They described her to police as being around 5'8", brown eyes, long chocolate hair, wearing a pair of jeans and men's work shirt. She had paid in cash. Now remember, the balloons that this clown killer had brought to Marlene's doorstep, one of them happened to be a very unique balloon that read, You're the Greatest. And only the Publix grocery store in the area carried this particular balloon. When police spoke to the staff at Publix, they told them that there was a woman who had purchased it, and this woman had also bought a bouquet of flowers that day. This was about 90 minutes before the murder. So police thought this had to be the murderer. The costume store clerks and the grocery store clerks were shown a lineup of photos, and who did they pick out as the woman they saw? None other than Sheila Keen. What's really creepy is that Sheila was actually known to wear a clown costume. She would put it on and go and entertain the kids of the owner of a local auto parts shop that she often went to. Yeah, so she was not new to this whole clown costume wearing thing. Now, these eyewitness statements, they were enough for police to get a search warrant for Sheila Keene's apartment. When police search, unfortunately, they aren't able to find the whole clown costume or any parts of it. They don't find a weapon or anything at all that would link Sheila to the murder. But they did take a pair of Sheila's boots, a pair of black lace-up boots that were similar to the ones described by Marlene's son. They appeared to have some orange hair in the tread of the shoe, but this was before forensics were really any good, so this orange hair was collected and not much else was done with it. Though the hairs appeared to be similar to the ones that were found in the getaway car, they couldn't confirm it. Everything police had in this case was completely hypothetical. They didn't have any concrete black and white evidence to connect either Sheila or Michael to the crime. Police believed that the motive behind the murder was so that Sheila and Michael could be together. But 
Why murder instead of divorce? Well, Michael had a lot to lose in a divorce. It would have gotten really messy. Merlene and Michael, they owned a ton of properties together, but there was also a lot of properties that were just in Marlene's name. Michael would have lost a ton of money. And in this case, with Marlene dead, he was able to keep all of his assets, all of his money, and profit off of the life insurance. But even with the costume shop clerk testimony and the purchase of the balloons and flowers seemingly matching the description of Sheila, the getaway car being connected back to Michael, the eyewitness testimony from Marlene's son really made this whole thing difficult. I mean, in many cases, he contradicted himself. He definitely contradicted the idea of Sheila being the clown. And in fact, he would go on to say that it would shock him if Sheila was the prime suspect. He just couldn't imagine her doing such an evil thing. With all that said, the case actually went cold. The eyewitness testimony from the son and his friends, that seemed to be kind of be the nail in the coffin for this case. And they definitely didn't have enough DNA actual forensic evidence to pursue charges against Sheila. But during their investigation, they did discover that Michael was shady in a lot of other ways that didn't include actually cheating on his wife. They learned that he had been rolling back odometers at his car rental agency in order to obtain warranty repairs for free and to sell used cars for more than they were actually worth. So police, well, they moved forward in trying to charge him with basically whatever they could to get some form of justice. In August of 1992, a jury found Michael Warren guilty of racketeering, 21 counts of odometer fraud, 11 counts of grand theft, and 10 counts of petty theft. He faced up to 237 years in prison. But the judge sentenced Warren to only 20 years of probation, saying that the only reason this case even made it this far was because police were really just trying to get justice for the clown killing, and the two cases should be completely separate. On appeal in 1994, prosecutors were able to obtain a nine-year prison sentence. So off to jail, Michael Warren went, and he wasn't released from prison until 1997. Meanwhile, Sheila Keene, she carried on with her life a free woman. Like I said, there was not enough evidence to actually connect her to any sort of wrongdoing, so she just sort of went on living her life. When Michael was released from prison, Sheila and Michael Warren, well, they moved to Virginia together. Sheila divorced her husband Richard in 2000 and officially married Michael in a quiet ceremony in Las Vegas in 2002. The pair started a new life together, running a fast food restaurant called The Purple Cow. You're a purple cow, Sheila. You're a purple cow. The couple lived in a three-bedroom house on 1.89 acres in Abington, Virginia, according to property records. The residence had two large brick columns and no trespassing signs. It just sounds lovely. Marlene Warren's case remained a cold case for almost 27 years until 2014 when the Palm Beach County Sheriff's Office decided to reopen it. Advancement in DNA and forensics allowed investigators to finally analyze old clues originally found at the scene 
And in 2017, Sheila Keen Warren, now 54 years old and married to Michael, was arrested. She was charged with first-degree murder, and officials said that she was very nonchalant after the arrest was made. She even smiled for her mugshot. Now, I have that photo up over on my Facebook page in case you want to see it, but yeah, she's smiling, and I have no idea why. Of course, Sheila maintains her innocence. She has pled not guilty to all charges. She's been in prison since her arrest in 2017, and it still, to this date, hasn't gone to trial. But we have gotten some updates in the case at the beginning of this year, 2021. We have a little bit more insight into some of the evidence that's going to be presented at her trial. Now, there will be the testimony from two Publix employees who recalled a woman with the same sort of physical description as Sheila, purchasing the exact flower and balloon ensemble found at the scene less than two hours before the murder. This Publix grocery store was about a mile away from where Sheila lived at the time. Then there's those two costume store employees. They're going to testify that a woman purchased a clown costume there two days before the shooting. In their statements, they claim that she told them that she needed enough white makeup to cover the entire face and that the costume would be for a female. There's also the matter of the LeBaron convertible vehicle that was found abandoned, assumed to be the getaway car used. Inside the getaway car was hair from that wig that matched the hairs found on Sheila's black lace-up boots. They were now able to confirm that these hairs were in fact a match. Remember, there was also human hair found in the getaway car. Even though they had no way of making a match at the time, police now say that the DNA on that real human hair is a match to Sheila. So it sounds like there is a pretty solid case to move forward with, and we should see this actually move forward in April. As with a lot of other cases right now, COVID has really slowed everything down. Cases that should have happened already are just kind of stuck in the system right now. It's kind of interesting, though, when you look at the eyewitness testimony and the fact that they believe this was a tall, skinny male wearing a clown mask. And then you have Sheila, who isn't tall, but she could have been wearing those boots that were found in her closet. But I mean, she's definitely not male. So it's kind of interesting to see the difference between witness testimony and who they think the real perpetrator is. And what is the truth? If it wasn't Sheila, who could it have been? Could Michael and Sheila have been involved, even if the person who pulled the trigger wasn't Sheila, but maybe some tall, skinny man? That could explain the connection with the DNA. When it's such a personal crime like this, when nothing was taken or stolen, I always think to myself, who would have something to gain here? And for that answer, I mean, all roads lead back to Michael Warren and consequently, Sheila Keen. We won't have long to wait to hear all of this play out, so I'll make sure to keep you all updated. And of course, I would love to hear what you think, so please reach out and share with me all your own thoughts and your theories. I would like to once again thank tonight's sponsor. Visit puravita.com and use the discount code STORY for a 10% discount on high-quality, disposable, American-made masks that work. As for me, if you want to reach out, you can find me on Facebook at Serial Napper. You can also search for me on Apple or Spotify or wherever you listen to your podcasts. 
Check me out on Twitter at Serial underscore Napper or I'm on YouTube. Nikki Young, Serial Napper, all one word. And if you're watching on YouTube, make sure you give me a like, a thumbs up, whatever it is, and subscribe. If you'd like to become a patron and unlock some badass bonus episodes, visit patron.podbean.com slash Serial Napper. Until next time, don't be a Dahmer. Bye.